Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to the book of Genesis in chapter 11. We're still making our way through this book on Sunday mornings. You may recall my initial intent was to cover the first 11 chapters and then make a decision when we got to that point. Well, it has snuck up on me. We are in the 11th chapter now, and I have a decision to make. Do we keep on going through the book of Genesis, or do we move on to something else? Pastor DeGarmo mentioned he didn't want to weary the Sunday school class on the topic of prayer, and because you may be wondering, what's the big deal? Well, we started this on the 10th of October, 2021, and at this this pace of 6.8 weeks per chapter, we still got 5.2 years to go. (laughs) Now, I think the pace will pick up, but I've said that in every series, (laughs) and that's why you're laughing. Well, I did cover a record number of verses last week. We pretty much covered chapter 10. There's, There's one last thought I'll draw out of that next time. We really could have taken a lot longer in chapter 10. There's a lot to draw out there, but a lot of that is probably more classroom type gee whiz stuff that I don't know really would lead to a a firm enough application to turn it into a message. There's a lot there in chapter 10 if you want to dig in that uh, for yourself. Uh, Last week we considered how chapter 10 is, is known as the table of the nations. It's a unique record of those who descended from the three sons of Noah and how they dispersed on the earth after the flood. And from that application was made that God knows the nations. God extends mercy to the nations. And God has a plan for the nations. God is in complete control. And I really hope you believe that. He is in complete control. And he is currently withholding his judgment from the nations. But that day is coming soon. And he will judge all nations in his wrath. But he's withholding that because he's merciful and he's giving you an opportunity to be saved. So if you missed last week, give it a listen. Um, There was a lot we covered. As I've noted... Earlier in this series, in the book of Genesis, in these early chapters, not everything necessarily flows chronologically. We see that clearly here as we come to chapter 11. In chapter 10, you'll remember we were told that the descendants of Japheth were divided after their tongue, the sons of Ham after their tongues, and the sons of Shem after their tongues. But in the first verse here of chapter 11, we're going to see, and the whole earth was of one language and one speech. So in chapter 10, we're told how the nations would be divided, how they would be dispersed on the earth. And then in chapter 11, we get the reason why and how they were divided. And so with that, let's begin by reading verses 1 through 9. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. 
And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Babel, or Babel if you're more English, but I think most Americans say Babel. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. We see in verse 1, at, at one time the whole world was of one language. It seems unlikely that there would have been different languages spoken before the flood, but if there were, then certainly it all got narrowed down to Noah and his sons, and this is the language of the post-flood world. Now, I'm not a philologist, but I discovered there's a common opinion that the original language spoken on the earth was Hebrew. Now, it doesn't matter to me what it was, amen? It could be pig Latin, I don't care. But those much smarter than me conclude it was Hebrew because of those pre-flood names that we read of over in chapter 5. I'm told that those are all Hebrew names and that they would only make sense in Hebrew. And because those names were used before the confusion of languages here in chapter 11, the belief is the original language must have been Hebrew. Commentator Adam Clark wrote, The proper names and their significations given in the Scripture seem incontestable evidences that the Hebrew language was the original language of the earth. Well, I don't reckon we can know for sure, and like I said, it really doesn't matter to me what it was. That was for all of you who care. And for what it's worth, while we're on the subject, it's believed that the Hebrew language continued through Eber, and he became later the father of Abram, who became the Hebrew. And so that's kind of the thinking there. But we also see in verse 1 that not only was the whole earth of one language, but it was also of one speech. Now, if I understand this correctly, it means that there were no other dialects within this language as well. Everybody said everything the same way. And, and I can't... Help but imagine how miserable life must have been not being able to make fun of people for how they speak. It must have been very boring. Ever since my daughter decided to marry a Yankee from Michigan, every, every time they come over, we have something to laugh about. Love you, brother. I'm only, I'm only teasing. Um, he makes fun of us, too. We got into a discussion on how you pronounce tour. Is it tour? Is it tour? Is it? We got to take a tour of the Great Lakes today. Uh, you know, it just depends where you're from. Some people take a tour. Um, anyway, we're not going there. I could spend all day on that, uh, but I don't want to earn your Sunday. Now, in verse 2, we're told people journey to a plane in the land of Shinar, to make their dwelling. 
I, I don't know that this would have included everyone. I personally don't think it did. I would imagine there's always been people like me on the earth who would see the flow toward Shinar and head the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, Brother Mitchell, where are you at? Amen, brother. I see a hand over here. Amen, George. Yeah, I don't need to follow the crowd. Amen, just leave me alone. I'm going to be over here. Um, but, you know, God also has always had his remnant. And so I believe that there would have been those who would not have been involved in this project, but people who still would have been faithful to God. And maybe they did follow, but once they learned what was happening, maybe they would have left. And, and I believe that because I do believe God has always had those um, who are faithful to him. But regardless, Shinar was the land between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. It's in modern-day Iraq. It was a very fertile plain. It would have easily sustained the people that were there. This area would also become known as Mesopotamia, which means between two rivers. And more importantly, in relation to our text today, it would be known as Babylonia or simply Babylon. You may recall from Genesis 10.10 from last week, it says of Nimrod, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erek and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. And so we have reason to believe that Nimrod is connected with this event here in chapter 11, but we're never really told. Just a quick observation, but it's interesting that the first city ever built in the Bible was built by a man who rebelled against God. It was built by Cain, and he built it to have a name. He named it after his son, Enoch. And here we see again, after the flood, the first cities that are being built are by rebels. Cain built a city in rebellion to God's curse against him, that he would be a vagabond in the earth. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to build me a city. And here they are building a city in rebellion to God's blessing to fill the earth. And so whether it's a curse from God or a blessing from God, men will rebel against God. All of us are sinners. All of us have come short of the glory of God. In verse 3, they say to each other, Go to, let us make brick, burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. In that area, there's an absence of stones. And so they had to make their own bricks. The fact that we're told they're burned so thoroughly or throughly, is to make them strong. They did not have stone, but they had these natural deposits called bitumen, which we still use today to hold asphalt together. And this is what the slime is that they used as mortar. In verse 4, they say to each other, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And so with these bricks, with their advancement here, they decide to build a city and a tower that's going to reach unto heaven. Some have speculated their intent was to be able to withstand another watery judgment from God. Let's build up. Let's try to waterproof it the best we can. I don't think that's the sense here in the text at all. If it is, they're not very smart because they're starting their building project in a plane. Seemed like if you were trying to withstand another watery judgment, you would start much higher elevation. We see in verse 4, they give three reasons for the building 
of this city and tower. One is to reach unto heaven. Two is to make a name for themselves. And three, so we won't be scattered on the earth. Now, if you've heard this text preached before, you've likely heard it preached in a way that this is a group of people who are trying to reach God by their own efforts. That's not the primary interpretation here. That application may fit, and I'm not against those who preach it that way, but I want to give you what's really being said here. Their intention is not to reach God. Notice the wording. It says that it may reach unto heaven. This is not a picture of a works-based religion with good intentions that we're trying to reach the God of heaven. This is not denominationalism run amok. This is not a bunch of misunderstood doctrines. This is not a group of people who view their good works as a way to reach God. We would put it in our days, our good works, our baptism, our church membership, speaking in an unknown tongue, giving money, do all these things so that we can reach God. Those who are in those camps, they have good intentions. Amen. Their intent is, I want to be right with God. They just don't see Christ as being the complete answer. That they have to kick in the tip. They have to add something. And and so, we're not talking about those with good intentions. That's not what this is. They're not trying to reach God. Get this now. They are trying to make themselves God. At a minimum, they're attempting to be equal with God. They are behaving like their father, the devil. God quoted Lucifer over in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, of the devil saying this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Five times Lucifer says in his heart, I will. And we notice the reoccurring phrase here in verses 3 and 4 of our text, let us, let us, let us make brick. Let us build a city. Let us make a name. We're not watching a group of people who want to be closer to the holiness of God by their own religious efforts but this is a people who are acting in complete defiance against God. And we know this because they want to make a name for themselves. This has nothing to do with trying to glorify God. They're wanting to make a name for themselves. This clearly indicates their hope isn't to reach God in any good sense. This isn't to reach God's glory, but this is for their own glory. Remember from our earlier studies in the book of Genesis, the giving of names indicates dominion. They want to make a name for themselves. What do they want to do? They want to take dominion without God. In other words, they're trying to replace God and they'll just do the naming themselves. Hang on to that thought for next week. We also know this isn't a desire to be closer to God because they say, We don't want to be dispersed throughout the earth, which was in direct defiance to God's blessing 
in chapter 9, verses 1 and 7. And he said, you're to multiply in the earth. You're to go and, and, and be great in the earth. This isn't them trying to earn God's approval. But what we find on display here is humanism. Pure and simple. You say, what's humanism? It's where man becomes God, in short. We want to be God. We want to do our thing. And, and listen to me. Humanism is now the main religion in our country. Oh, sure, they're not calling it that necessarily. Some do. But, but this is where our nation is. We saw this on full display during COVID. As we were repeatedly told, we're all in this together. Well, let's just have a group hug. You can't. you got to separate. There, there wasn't a national looking to God during COVID. It was all about how we could control the spread of a virus and the outcome of the effects of the virus. It was as if we could do only what God can control. I got news for you. A mask ain't stopping a virus. All right, I shouldn't have said that. I'm getting fired up. I can feel it. The flesh is welling up. It was this mindset that somehow we can be God. In fact, then governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, made this statement. As the number of cases in New York began to plateau, he said, quote, the number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. He doubled down on CNN, I think it was. Quote, our behavior has stopped the spread of the virus. God did not stop the spread of the virus. And what we do, how we act, will dictate how that virus spreads. We change the trajectory of the virus by our actions. Can you hear the humanism just vomiting out from that? Let us, let us, let us. And, and this mindset is everywhere. And when you think about it, we didn't kick religion out of public school. We might have kicked God out, but all we did was replace God with humanism. It's permeating our society. And humanism essentially says, let us make us a name. Let us reach unto heaven. Let us be great in the earth. Let us be glorified. Humanism looks to man to be the center and not God. John 5, verses 43 and 44, listen to what Jesus said. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? You see, mankind, apart from God, has a natural inclination toward humanistic theology. We see it exhibited at very early ages. And we see this on display in the Bible when we consider Jesus' own brothers in John chapter 7. Listen to what they said, or listen to what the Bible says here in verses 2 through 4 of John chapter 7. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. 
His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart thence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. You know what Jesus' brothers are saying to him? Go make a name for yourself. Go show yourself to the world. Why? That's man's thinking apart from God. Go launch your Jesus of Nazareth ministries. That's me meddling with TBN if you don't know. Everybody's got to have a ministry in their name. Gary Brooks Ministries. Oh, you listen to Gary Brooks. You see what I'm saying? Making a name. We know from Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, that Jesus made Himself of no reputation. Right? He took upon Him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It was largely this mindset, this humanistic mindset, that caused Israel to miss the Messiah. In in their minds, the Messiah would be great in the eyes of man. He would set up His kingdom physically upon this earth during His lifetime. How then could the Messiah die on a cross? This is the humanistic thinking that they had. And what we're seeing today in our world as humanism is permeating is we are now setting the stage for the acceptance and following of the man of sin, the son of perdition. 2 Thessalonians 2.4, speaking of the man of sin, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's where we're heading. Because of this humanistic thinking. Somebody has got to be great. Somebody we can see and touch and feel instead of seeing Jesus as the one who is great. Now, the application is simple today. And I'm preaching short because we have two baptisms. The application is simple. Whose name are you living for? They wanted to make a name for themselves. Are you living for self or are you living for God? Please don't miss the reason why God has created you. It is for His glory, not for your own glory. And I believe it was Paris Reedhead who said, the chief end of man is the glory of God. If you're outside of Christ, you're still your own God. That's where believers say amen and agree and help convict those that are lost. And... You're still your own God because you have refused to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Maybe you're trying to be the king of your world. Maybe you're trying to be in control. Or at least you think you are. You can build your own city. You can build your own tower. But the day will come, one way or the other, that you will bow and confess. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The decision is whether you do that now, while God is still extending mercy, or you can wait until it's too late to have mercy, but you will still bow, and you will still confess. Now, even for those of us in Christ today, listen to me, I know that's many of you, you can still be guilty of trying to take dominion in your life. And that is, you can be guilty of trying to do everything your way. You can be guilty of trying to be in control. You can be guilty of building a city and a tower, trusting in your own protection. And you can be guilty of building a tower to your own name. And maybe you're here today, you look impressive on the outside, man. But you know deep down, it could all come crumbling down at any moment. And so it's time to stop living for self. First Chronicles 16, 28, and 29. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Second Corinthians 5, 15. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. You see, we need to die to ourself. Amen. And we need to live for God. So let me ask you this morning, believer, what is it that you have taken control of? It's time to give that over to God. Quit trying to be the God of your life. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We must do away with humanistic thinking altogether and live our life for the glory of God. But so many, they want to do everything. They want to try to figure it out. And they're building little cities and towers. And spoil alert from, from next time when we revisit this chapter. You think it's impressive, but God has to come down just to look at it. Just let God work in your life. Let Him have control. Quit trying to do everything on your own. He can do a better job of running your life than you can. Cyrus S. Nussbaum published this chorus in 1898. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see t'was best for Him to have His way with thee. So live for the glory of God. Let Him take care of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we're going to have a couple of baptisms.